Walk in the spot and it's lights, cameras, action Well executed, I'm the main attraction Engaging vibes is where I wanna be Enchanting lights and smiles is all you see <laughs> So I ain't thinking about the next one Snapping pics, they be loving my fashion Great drinks, great friends, and it's flowing well It's a perfect event, shout out Riel to another episode of the Riel's Events Podcast. We're a business podcast all about elevating boring events to enchanting engagements for your nonprofit organization, corporation, or small business. I'm your host, Riel Jones. So as you know, each week I interview a different person really looking at events, how they can impact the business, how can we improve our events, how are people's experiences going to different types of events and this week I thought I would change it up in a couple ways. First, this is the first time I've interviewed two people at the same time and second, this is going to be the first one where I don't think we actually talk about events. (laughs) I actually came um, to interview the executive director of the Coma A. Young Foundation here in Detroit, Kari Turner, and his beautiful, awesome wife, who is a phenomenal entrepreneur herself, who's had multiple businesses. Um, I know we talk about one of them on this podcast. She's just so incredible. She sat in on our first interview, which I have to admit was the best interview that I had done at the time. And she told me that she is going to start a podcast soon. I'm willing that with her um, because I think she would have an amazing podcast. And afterwards, she asked me a few questions. You could tell how supportive she was in um, Kari's just endeavors, what he was doing, and also like how intellectually curious she is. And I thought it would be really interesting to do a podcast episode kind of interviewing the two of them and deeming it a power couples in philanthropy. I think that we all know the expression behind every great man is a phenomenal woman and I think that this is very true and I think that you could see just the love that the two of them have for each other, Kari and Tunisia and um, in this interview you'll you'll really be able to hear it and I think that this is going to be one of your favorite podcast episodes. Make sure that you subscribe here on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the podcast app. And make sure you leave a comment and and like this episode. Let's get into it. We're going to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane and talk about Uh (laughs) everything that has led you (laughs) to this point. (laughs) So you studied public relations and communication as well as education. How have those majors played a role in your career now? Uh, I actually wanted to be a journalist, Mm -hmm. wanted to major in journalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a a writer first. And... Uh, but I wasn't a good high school student. Wait, wait, wait. How how is that? How can you? How do you know that you're a good writer if you aren't weren't a good high school student? Cause I feel like um, usually you think of like the nerdy brainiac A right, student. Right. Hip hop saved my life in the tenth grade. Say more. Say more. Um, 
I was I was uh, depressed in, in, as a freshman and sophomore in high school. My GPA fell because I was a smart kid, but I was disconnected from the academic process and um, brought home a 1.2 GPA mm-hmm. in the 10th grade because I just stopped doing everything. And uh, that's that's four D's and two F's. Um, I remember to this day what the card looked like. And my mother encouraged me to start writing down my thoughts. Yeah. So I discovered Maya Angelou and Robert Frost, fell in love with writing. Then I discovered um, uh, an old rap group that uh, most folks probably don't remember called Masters of Ceremony, mm-hmm. um, Sugar Hill Gang and Run DMC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And started realizing that there wasn't much separation between poetry and hip hop and yeah. that I could apply um, my thought processes and, and my feelings to that form. Yeah. So I started doing that, and I wasn't shy about it. Um, started sharing it at school. Teachers heard it. Next thing you know, high school basketball games. Really? Put me on the floor. And then finally, an English teacher came to me and gave me a study plan that, that helped me realize that, one, I was probably attention deficit, mm-hmm. suffering mm-hmm. from an attention deficit at that time, um, even though we weren't calling it that, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in high school. Uh, but it was it was a study plan that I could handle, and I shot from a 1.2 to a 3.7. Wow. And it was really just a matter of finding a connection to yeah. the process. Yeah. So I say all that to say I brought my GPA up, my GPA up just enough to get into the high, into the college that would accept me. <laughs> <laughs> that was Bowling Green and Xavier University in Cincinnati. Yeah. I chose Xavier. Wanted to go into journalism and continue writing, but they didn't have that as a major at the time. They offered public relations. I have, okay, I have two questions. Um, uh-huh. One is which, I think that it's really amazing that you took um, writing down your, your thoughts and all of that to wanting to have a real career in journalism, like mm-hmm. that progress. I think for me, one of the things that has been one of my biggest problems with the education process, a lot of times when it comes to black communities, we just stop at journal- like journaling and mm-hmm. we don't do enough of the editing and teaching kids like how to oh, yeah. organize their thoughts. So my question would be, how did you get from stream of consciousness writing of, mm-hmm. I just feel this, I just feel this, I just feel this, to wanting to structure it? And before you got to your, your sure. teacher, you know, sure. you're saying you're, you read these other books and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, how did you come to that point of knowing I need to edit this and put it into some form? You know, it was it was passion driven because I really wanted to. I, I, I discovered a love of telling stories that really impacted people. Mm-hmm. And I think just I, I realized that um, I, w- I read newspapers religiously. Mm-hmm. I always read Mitch Albom's columns and. I noted that he had voice in his writing, mm. and then I learned that there was actually a term, voice, you know, that that describes the ability of someone to write in a way that makes me feel like I'm talking to Riel, yeah. as opposed to you just, you know, a burglary took place at a, a, a right, that's so reporting, yeah. that's not writing, you okay. know, writing requires voice and connection and identification with the human element mm-hmm. you know emotion and that was the part of writing that really attracted me so I, I just kind of picked up early on that that was a key piece and then by the time my English teachers uh, noticed me they started to tell me what it was that I was showing flashes of talent in you mm. know hey your writing actually has voice you need to do this you need to do that so then I started learning about you know what a nut graph is and what is um, that 
a nut graph is the ability to tell the reader exactly what the story is going to be about in the first paragraph. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. Um, so if I'm telling the, the story of, say, Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. um, she wanted to be free. She didn't want to be free alone. So she created a network. Mm -hmm. Boom. That's the story. Yeah. Now we can go and talk about the Underground Railroad and how she yeah. da, 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 and taught herself to read and, and uh, pull guns on folks who wanted to quit. You know? <laughs> so you know, that's the nut graph. Yeah. You know? So I started to learn about those things. And, you know, um, you know, voice is the thing that just says, you know, you, you, know, we, you and I were just talking mm -hmm. about, uh, we were just talking about sex trafficking. So voice would, would move from saying he abducted her to saying, um, she didn't see him coming, but she felt the grabbing of her hair. Mm, see the difference? Yeah. So, voice. Yeah. You know, um, it, it just takes you layers into the moment. Yeah. So. Okay, before we pivot, what are some <clears throat> authors that you feel like our listeners could pick up today and and have a sense of this person has their own voice, you know? And, oh, God. Um, or the writers or books that you really like? Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. Um poet and author uh uh mitch album actually you know he deals with sports but he has great voice okay you know m my wife will tell you i met him at a restaurant and was starstruck yeah <laughs> uh um other writers who have that that great voice walter mosley mm -hmm. um great voice profound uh robert frost profound mm-hmm and you notice I'm bouncing culturally because I, I learned early on that voice is not, a, it, there, there's no level of power or difference in, in the voice of a black author or mm -hmm. a Hispanic author. Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements, he is the, he is the most voiceful, uh, one of the most impactful uh, writers that I've ever read. And it's just because these these writers have this, unique ability to just really connect to self yeah and then connect you to what they've just connected to yeah you know um so any writer who can do that um i, I always say that that that's that's a master craftsman yeah when, when it comes to writing yeah. yeah i think i know so there's this one podcast um called snap judgment i don't know Love if you... it. yeah yeah glenn washington in yeah. the beginning his uh -huh. stories just no oh. matter and they're just crazy they're just yeah. <laughs> like yeah. one week you're in japan with this study abroad thing mm -hmm. you know the next week you're like and, it, yeah. and, and it's you just, get his quirkiness you get it he's not like this super intellect you know it's like yeah. so i so the other day i was just da -da -da -da. right <laughs> Like this guy is like quirky, nerdy, but he tells like the best the stories. The best story, and like if I could just listen to our like, and they do go into other great topics throughout the like the podcast episode. But if I could just listen to him mm -hmm. tell a story or a full book or whatever it is, like mm -hmm. I and I think that's something that I would love. I I have always been someone who loves storytelling. You mm -hmm. know, when I was in speech and debate. My teacher, I went to do debate because I always mm -hmm. had affiliation for like the intellectual side. But she yeah. was like, you're going to be um, not spoken word, but it was, oh, I forgot this segment, but it's when you do the stories and you have to bring them to life and mm -hmm. your dramatic interpretation, I think is what it's called. Yeah. And that's helped me with presentations in the business world of being able to really capture someone in with a good mm -hmm. story mm -hmm. in the beginning and then apply it. And it helps in nonprofits and events of like, mm -hmm. this is a 
a snapshot of what one of our recipients would be like or what they're going through, like yeah. a good story. And this is what you're giving to. Mm-hmm. And that could be even better than the tired photos that we might see that exactly. were like, now this is some stock photo of this poor child that you're using. But when you have a good story, it could really, really um, bring donors into to your organization. And, and mm-hmm. in a way that it's not gimmicky, it's not fake, it's really authentic because you are key. telling stories. That's key. You know. Authenticity is key. And, you know, this, this is a great caveat mm-hmm. because over the last 10 to 15 years, businesses and companies have really gotten into uh, the value of the story behind the product. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've kind of taken the generic nature out of marketing and fundraising. Mm-hmm. And, and we've started to realize that, you know, we are no longer a generation that connects to movements. Right. You know, we now are we're we're now a population of people who connect to individual stories. Mm-hmm. And within that story we realize that there is a movement to be yeah. taken care of. Right. So um you know it I, I think back to when, when the Nike swoosh made its debut. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're going back twenty, twenty five years yeah. now. Jordan once, you know. Yeah. But um they had they ran this series of commercials, black and whites, cats on a ball court, and it was like this guy Calvin who was like the the street ball like three point specialist, and they would tell the story in thirty seconds, and the 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 line that hit you was I shoot like a god, but they wouldn't show his hands, yeah. they would show his shoes. Mm. So boom, that's where the sale is made. Right. If I throw these joints on, yeah. on my feet, my game is. I become Calvin. Right, you know, right. So, <laughs> you go shoot like God. Yeah, so you know, it took some time, but but I think corporations and ultimately nonprofits really picked up that mantle. You know, um, uh, Livestrong mm-hmm. did a, an amazing job prior to Lance Armstrong's fall from grace. Yeah. Of building a multi-million-dollar fundraising machine mm-hmm. for cancer research based on this one man's story and triumph. Right. You know. Of course, when he went away, you know, there it, it, it impacted them negatively. Right. So that because us, it was so tied with them. It was them. so tied. Yeah. And that brings us back to your point. Mm-hmm. That's why authenticity um, and honesty is critical. Mm-hmm. It has to be any nonprofits non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. If I tell the story of a scholar that Colbert and Young Foundation is helping, mm-hmm. I can't take this scholar story and make it more than what it is. Right. I can't put something out there for the public to consume that the scholar himself or herself is not willing to come behind me and discuss openly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so if, yes. if it turns out to be just a cool story with no tear jerking moment, so be it. Right. You know, it's one story. Right. And there's somebody out there that's gonna connect to that, you know. Um and, and the, the tear jerking moment is it's out there. Everybody wants to punch for it and, and and shoot for it but I don't mm-hmm. if it if, if it reveals itself fine mm-hmm. but if it reveals itself and, and that person says well I, that's not the story I want to tell yeah what do I do do I walk away and say well I'm looking for the tears right and like no right and also sometimes it doesn't have to be a tearjerker it could just be like I as a person at some stage in your life you've gone through this feeling you know Perhaps you just graduated from college. Your idea of money is a lot different mm-hmm. than the reality. You think you're going to have a penthouse apartment and you get your first salary. 
and then you realize you can't afford to have a couch in your place. Mm-hmm. And there's places like you call, was it 411 for United Way, mm-hmm. and they have furniture yeah, yeah. bank and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so just telling someone, this is an everyday experience that people have and they can't deal with, but mm-hmm. we provide that solution. Okay. You so, know? <laughs> so let's take it a layer deep. Yeah. Because beyond you not being able to afford the couch, mm-hmm. let's talk about that feeling that you get when you're in a dorm room with a roommate who's from Fairfield, Connecticut, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you come from the east side of Detroit, mm-hmm. and you show up with your belongings in a bag. Right. And they show up with a full line of Louis Vuitton luggage. Right. And they drive up in their own F-150 that mom and dad just give, and and they, they, they're mad because they only have a G in their bank account. Now it's a way deeper story than you just not being able to afford it. Right. Now it's about self-worth and self-perception. Yeah. You know? And one of the things that we contend with here at the foundation is, is getting the public to realize that um, we're not just a scholarship foundation. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, a, a, we're a college success mm-hmm. organization because the, every, every young person that we grant an award with, mm-hmm. we also commit to being in that person's life mm-hmm. deeply layered, richly beyond nine o'clock and five o'clock mm-hmm. until they walk across that stage, you know? So we regularly get phone calls and text messages late at night. And, you know, we, we find ourselves becoming surrogates to multiple people at multiple scholars a year. Mm-hmm. Typically around this time of year, the end of, of a school year, we always end up getting a couple messages that we don't expect to receive. And they're always along. They're always messages that say things like, you guys help me believe I can do this. Mm. You, know, you guys, you know, you had my back and that made me feel like I could compete. Yeah. You know? That's what we really go for. Yeah. Okay, you, you, you're having trouble paying your tuition? Fine. You've got our scholarship. We can point you in the direction, uh, you know, or, or you know, uh, more, more funds mm-hmm. in other places or give you the questions that you need to take to the financial aid office. Mm-hmm. But, what you re- but what we're really here to give you is that extra support when you need it. Mm-hmm. If you call me and say, I have no deodorant and I have 25 cents to my name. Yeah. Where's the resource coming from? Yeah. So that, you know, that's that's the real deep piece about uh, one, telling the stories and then being honest and staying connected to the, the, the populations that you serve. Yeah. And before I um, move to my next question, I would mm-hmm. just like to add on to that if I can. Like sure. that... What's important about that is that you move from having a scholarship where someone could still feel a certain type of way of like, I can't afford this. So for instance, Wellesley is $52,000 a year to go there. And um, how it's set up is that for the most part, if you have a need, a, a need in your family for say a $10,000 scholarship or whatever, they'll figure it out and you'll get that. But we have over half the percent of our student body that does not need assistance at all. That means their families can easily pay $52,000 a year and it not affect their income at home, their bills, what they're going to do if they have other children in school. And so on one hand, you can't have a student to say, like, I'm grateful to get this $10,000 or thirty or $40,000 for this. But on some level, I still feel ashamed because my family can't provide but when you have, when you're taking the approach that you're taking here at the Coleman Foundation, that shame is away, has gone away. Instead, you're like, I have this very prestigious scholarship that not only is it prestigious in the sense of people know the name, 
but that they're supporting me and I'm a part of this family, you know, and I can take pride in it. And yes, this $52,000 is being paid for it, whether it's my family or not. And these people are like my family. These mm-hmm. people are behind me. And if I have questions that maybe I'm the first or second generation or I'm the first generation to go to this type of school, mm-hmm. you know, I can ask you and say, is this normal? Or I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. Can I talk to someone or whatever it is, you know, that's, that takes it a, a steps further for your recipients. And then when they get to a point where they can give back or they can rally yeah. around their friends to give, they understand how impactful this scholarship was versus I received scholarships that I have no idea who gave me that money. I know I had financial aid yeah. from something. Yeah. But I don't even know to who to go back to to say, hey, can I repay and mm-hmm. you know pay it forward because mm-hmm. it would just align it somewhere, you know. Yeah, we, we pride ourselves on that, you know, and um you're absolutely right. You know, I think staying in our scholars' lives is is the reason that one, ninety one percent of them graduate mm. and sixty percent of them come back to Detroit. Mm. So so here's where I need to share the uh, just a little bit about the type of scholarly support. It's not the 4.0 kid or the, the one with the three-pointer up. Mayor Young, when he founded this foundation um, way back in 1982, mm-hmm. uh, he gave us an order to, to find the kid whose GPA is compromised by the circumstances of their life. Mm. So he wants the child who's 2.5 could be a 3.5 mm-hmm. if he wasn't forced to be the man of the house yes. as a freshman. Yes. You know, um, or, or the young girl who, whose GPA would be higher if she wasn't coming from an environment where there was more incarceration and graduation mm-hmm. in her family history. Um, that's the kind of kid, when you think about that lifestyle, the, the neighborhood that, that that individual would grow up in, that's the kind of person who looks at Detroit as the place to escape. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, I sometimes don't like to use such harsh language because I'm very much pro Detroit. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you grow up in poverty, what what do you want to do? Right, you, you want to escape that poverty. You get away from <laughs> it, you know? So we consider it a real, real victory when within four to five years, six max, yeah, um, these scholars call us in their junior year and say, "I want to work my way back home." Yeah, I think I can make a contribution. Yeah, you know, we got two of those calls this this year, and and we were actually able to help. Um, we had board members who stepped up and, and uh, took their resumes and said, I think we have an internship. Mm. You know, that, okay, so mm-hmm. that is what sometimes kind of makes me pause emotionally and say, wow, this is real mission work. Yeah. Now, to your second point, you, you brought up shame. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my real desire is to get to the point where there's a force of organizations that touch families young mm-hmm. and start teaching Detroit families to prepare for college when the child is as young as 10 mm-hmm. years old. So what does that look like? It looks like education, savings accounts, and trusts. It looks like teaching the child one way or another to treat their GPA like a growth stock mutual fund. Mm-hmm. This is leading somewhere. It's doing mm-hmm. it's doing that upward fluctuation thing mm-hmm. from fifth grade to twelfth grade. Yeah. And if you treat it the right way, it's gonna fluctuate up just enough mm-hmm. to get you a full ride somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the goal is for you to not just go to college, but go to college one 
knowing what you want to do, mm-hmm. not just going to go mm-hmm. and and go on somebody else's dime. Yeah, you know. And along with that, you know, we need to teach kids when they're old enough to understand that we live in a country where poverty is not a black issue. It's mm-hmm. not a, It's not just an issue of people of color. Seven out of ten working adults in this country are working in debt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They owe somebody more than they're earning. Right. So um, you have an opportunity to learn what real wealth is. Mm-hmm. You know, real wealth is, is, is laboring and what you bring home is all profit. Yeah. You don't owe anything outside your life bill. Right. And your monthly expenses. And how do you get there? You need to be focused in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you need to go do this college thing without having to pay anybody. Yeah. Anybody money. So if if we can get to that point, you will really see the needle on youth development and educational development in this city mm-hmm. shift and move. Mm-hmm. And within ten years you'll see a you'll see in a higher level of intellectual and community development emerging from young professional graduates mm-hmm. when they come home. Yeah. They'll be powerhouses. Yeah. And one thing I like to say, you brought up internships. Um my mother started with me very early on building a resume. And mm-hmm. so I started working in her tutoring service literally when I was I started taking payments into the system when I was eight years old using Petrie Accounting and the QuickBooks, and I would take in the, the really? amount and get the receipt and file it and all that kind of stuff. Well, her secretary told her, she's like, Gabby's yeah, smart enough. She could do this. She could type in a name. And so Your I was like, yeah, and I started learning really early, That's and hot. I would mm-hmm. do the tours and stuff. But then by the time I became 14 years old, I was so good at being a receptionist that I was able to go to Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney's office and mm-hmm. say, I can do the front up, up front stuff, and I got wow. an internship. And seeing a black woman at what age? At fourteen. At fourteen, I was an intern. My mom drove me up there every day. She was like, she can do it. You know, she can answer your phone. She and they gave me real responsibilities. Um, I directed all the phone calls whenever someone wanted like do press stuff like that. We had events. I would help with that. Um, mm. And just seeing seeing real stuff, but it was that someone taught me I had to have a resume. So yeah, we did Feed the hung- Homeless, Osea Williams Feed the Homeless in Atlanta. And maybe that was just one day on Thanksgiving. But she taught me, write it down. You know, like, write this down and over time you'll see all the things that you've done. And when it gets to a point when you're in 10th, 11th grade and you need a resume to show you're doing X, Y, and Z, you can't. Later on, I was able to be in John Lewis's, um, Congressman John Lewis's Youth Council wow. because I had that early start. And so internships while it might be free, might, while you might say, oh, I'm doing this work and I'm not getting paid, it can lead you down a whole nother, we talked about I wouldn't be a diplomat, because I saw women and I saw it up front, I didn't just read about this woman, I saw her answering the questions and going back and forth from D.C. to, to Atlanta and stuff, so I think internships are huge and you have a lot of things around Detroit where you have farmers, where you have people who are doing a lot of grassroots organizing, a lot of environmental work happening here, and the students can get involved now, you know, and they're looking for help. So, at 14, Mm -hmm. doing that, how did it feel when you were back among your peers in terms of your development? Right. No, I mean, really. And you're talking, and you're talking to them, and it it was different, yeah. I'd really like you to answer that. I'm curious to know, like, when you would go back to school and back to the neighborhood, having that under your belt, how did it feel? 
I think for me, it was, I always worked. And so I always had a sense of you have to work. And I think work was always a part of me. And mm. I think that on one hand, my sense of being able to create returns for people or to say this is what we're doing stems from always having jobs and being accountable to other people mm. and their businesses. And I think that when I look at some of my peers, even, you know, who are in their 20s, I don't see them being as accountable to what they're working for, you mm. know, or towards. Okay. And I think that's a difference. But when I was in when I was in school, I didn't really know that so other people weren't working as much. You understand the importance of valuing an organization's mission. Right. And working towards that and okay. knowing that my actions can deeply affect what they're getting. So like, you know, donors and stuff. So if I answer a wrong question, there's a question in the wrong way that is not in line with our mission or or just as my personal bias, I can cost this organization tens of thousands of dollars plus their friends who are giving. From the front desk. From the front desk. Or if I answer the phone yeah. the wrong way, hey, what's up? Or y'all stop playing in the background. I'm on the phone right now. Yeah. That can you don't know who's yeah. on the other line. And I've had a lot of people when I was in D.C. say, older people say, you know, you don't have customer service like this nowadays. Where mm-hmm. are you from? And they stopped me. And before I could direct their phone call to whomever, they're, they're trying to get my life story just mm-hmm. because I answered the phone friendly and I and I was going direct. And something you think is normal <laughs> or should be normal, mm-hmm. it kind of can get lost and stuff. And this does direct me to my next question. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time um, in your career advising others on their career path. So from being an enrollment counselor um, and manager at the University of Phoenix to being a director of admissions and even a career consultant. What? (laughs) Just a little deep. Just a little deep. So it seems like you always had an affinity for helping other people define their purpose. And how do you think that um, those roles kind of help you find out who you were? Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I grew up in an activist environment, so I've always been around servants, mm. you know? And my, my first community was an Afrocentric community, so the, the first examples I learned, I saw in my life were, were servants who were community-focused, Yeah. you know? Um, and, and these were individuals who strongly believed that they can't help the world if they're not helping home right. first. Um, so I, I learned very young what it means to be uh, the. I, I learned that there is a what's what's the word I'm looking for continuation. Mm-hmm. Um, that that if if you're just pro black, you're that's a retardant. Mm-hmm. It has mm-hmm. to lead to humanity, mm-hmm. to a greater humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I learned early on that that real self worth should push you to see value in everybody. Yeah. Um, and then I got around people who were financially conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my wife is the financial mind in our household. I love that. And it was in my young adulthood that I started to think about. And, and, and really get into the value of healthy financial standing. Mm-hmm. Um, I am now at a point where I see wealth as a responsibility. How so? And service yeah. as a responsibility. Yeah. So I don't even like the term nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I prefer for impact. Um, okay, I like that. For, for progress. Yeah. You know, uh, 
I love the concept of B corporations, like mm-hmm. like organizations like Ben and Jerry's that write service into their guidelines and bylaws, but also believe in, in profit for the greater good of yeah. humanity. So I like the idea of 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 wealthy 501c3 organizations with very low administration costs. Mm-hmm. You know, Coleman and Young Foundation has operated as a lean organization for the past five years because we're really trying to position ourselves for growth. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I'm most proud of is that in 2014, our administrative costs hit its low point. We mm-hmm. were spending 10 cents of every dollar um, wow. to sustain this organization. Yeah. And we were still giving scholarships to kids valued at $20,000. And our youth program was still servicing up to 50 kids um, every six months. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's our 11 to 18 year old youth development program, Real Skills. Um, now, uh, we're, we're actually in the process of, of uh, doing our most recent uh, tax run now. And I'm guessing that our administrative costs are going to land at somewhere between 13 and 14 percent. Yeah. But the acceptable norm is 23 cents. Mm. So we're doing phenomenally well in terms of how we manage right. costs. Um, now is the opportunity to to increase revenue. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is that if we can maintain that percentage, mm-hmm. that means the more revenue we bring in, the the more students we can send to school. Right. But here's the other thing that I mean, going back to, to that thing that I mentioned about, you know, wealth being a responsibility. Mm-hmm. I also believe that, that my staff should get paid their value. That's, that's yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't think nonprofits talk about that enough. They, they don't. don't. They don't take that message to their boards enough. And I'm big on that. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you're in an environment that, that pretty much grants you autonomy to figure out your growth, then I think a, a responsible executive director should be about the business of figuring out how to increase revenue to service first your client base mm-hmm. that's for us that's our youth and scholars but then also to minimize turnover mm-hmm. you know so my staff should feel like they can have a healthy lengthy career here yeah and yeah. i should feel that way yeah you know yeah. so we've done step one mm-hmm. we just keep it you know lean it out mm-hmm. you know clean up the books mm-hmm. get ready for growth now step two is to increase revenue and then step three would be to make sure that, that everyone involved realizes the game. Mm-hmm. Um, look, happy elves make the best toys. Mm-hmm. So imagine the level of counseling that our kids get, mm-hmm. you know, um, development that our kids get. Yeah. When everybody comes here saying, this is home for me. Right. And I feel valued I and feel I feel valued. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's the goal. So simultaneously, while you're advising all these people, you're also doing journalism and writing and becoming an author. Um, What did you write about during this time? During which time? Just over your your career. Like, what has been the things that you've been drawn to writing about the most? Well, my my two main focus areas were uh, hip-hop and feature writing, like Mm -hmm. just human interest. Um, So I started my writing career in journalism with the Source magazine in yeah, 1994. Yeah. Uh, went on and wrote for Double XL, and today I, I've been able to to um, I've got about 20 different publications under my belt between mm. 
between newsstand magazines, you know, traditional rags and um, websites, mm -hmm. you know. Um, some PR work is in that mix, uh, but but then I, I I really wanted to delve into the human interest thing when I started to um, when when hip hop started to kind of age me to the side. I won't say out. <laughs> I won't say out. I won't say out because uh, you know I, I'm still a musician. I still yeah. do my thing. Um, but I got to the point where family. Family first became the motto, and career became the focus. And well, hip hop um, wasn't evolving uh, as quickly, I guess. No, no. And then, you know, the, the, the things that the, the things that I used to, you know, write about and make music about, you know, shifted. So um, I got into noveling. Yeah. You know, uh, and I and I love memoirs because I really got interested in telling other people's stories. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and removing myself from the center of them, and, and that's a great way to study history too through people's perspectives in the yeah. history, so. Okay, I'm going to pause the conversation right there just for a moment as we start to pivot to the second portion of the show. What you just heard was from the first interview that I did at the Coma A. Young Foundation. Spoiler alert, I'm going to invite Kari and Tunisia back onto the show. I would love to talk to Kari more about the books that he's written, hip-hop, especially since... 444 and other great albums came out after we recorded this interview. And I also want to bring Tunisia on to talk about her in writing. I don't want to give too much away as we move into the second portion of the show, which is the second interview I did um, with both of them together. want to start with a quote from a book called Black Detroit by her um, boy. I don't know if y'all have that book. Y'all have yeah. it? Okay. I'm like living by this book. I, <laughs> as someone who is in love with Detroit and um, in love with the history, I think this is a really great book for um, how in depth it goes with Detroit's history up until now. Like, you're talking about Motor City, Match Grid, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And um, there's a quote about um, Coma Young, <laughs> which I wanted to read. An aura of optimism waved across the black community during the 1970s when Coma Young was elected Detroit's first African-American mayor. For a score of years, from his perch in the city-county building, he challenged the traditional second-class destination of his constituents empowering them both economically and spiritually. As noted by activist Mary Frances Berry, observed Coleman Young is unabashedly what an early generation called a race man, fighting for his black constituents through decades of public life. His is the story of modern urban America with its ills and opportunities graphically displayed. If we are to implement a positive urban agenda, his voice must be heard. And it was heard with powerful effect as he galvanized the city's business elite and forged an economic plan to rebuild Detroit. Mm. I think this is really powerful because as I talk to um, native black Detroiters, Coleman A. Young has been somebody that as soon as I say the name, like their faces light up. They're like, that's someone who really fought for us. Um, and they have stories upon stories to tell me. 
And then sometimes when I go outside of Detroit, the response is a little different. Mm -hmm. I think that people outside of Detroit see the more difficult side of him not um, going with the wave or going with whatever the plan was. As someone who's leading the Coleman A. Young Foundation, what does his memory kind of mean to you, like in his spirit? So you want, so so what does his memory mean to me and my spirit? Um, he represented what I would want uh, an elected official to be to me. Mm-hmm. You know, someone with no gray area, who was clear, mm-hmm. um, who knew where he wanted to go, mm-hmm. was firm in in um, in his commitment to the city and and his vision for the people of the city um, without catering to anyone who stood opposed to that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say that, not to say that our suburban friends were just similarly opposed, but the suburbs grew because of people who flew from the city. Mm -hmm. And, and there was racist connotation in that flight from the city. That's why it's called white flight, Mm -hmm. you know? So Coleman Young came in at a time when the city was in dire need of healing economically, uh, psychologically, spiritually. And he made it clear that he was there for Detroiters. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was supportive of a Detroit that was for Detroit by Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, So naturally, I I understand why people on the other side of of the city boundary would at times, you know, be more critical Mm -hmm. of the steps he took to affect that vision because they weren't a part of that necessarily until they only became a part of that when it was time to have the regional discussion, Mm -hmm. you know, but the city needed to heal. Mm-hmm. And Coleman Young came at a time. He came at. He was the right person for the right time, mm-hmm. because who else would have led the city's healing and subsequent subsequent growth and the empowerment of its people mm-hmm. um, on all levels of life in the city uh, better than than he did? I just don't see anyone else who could have done a better job, you know. And uh, so, what he represents to me is that real, unapologetic commitment. Mm-hmm. And and if that's there, you don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, I've never met a perfect politician. Right. Um, you just have to be committed. Mm-hmm. You just have to show up every day with that intent. And and that's what he represented to me. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation once with uh, <clears throat> a young lady who had moved here from another state, and I cannot remember where. I think she was from Virginia. And so she talked about how we t- took for granted how many black judges lawyers, politicians, how black people ran the city. Mm -hmm. And as a young person, that's all I knew. Um, Mm -hmm. I come from a political family and I was papering the streets when I was eight years old, you know, with a a cousin running for state representative. And um, I've only known black empowered people. Mm -hmm. And so to hear an outsider say, you don't realize what a luxury that is. You don't get to see that everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it, was, it became our standard. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw the Cosby show, I knew Cosby's. Mm. Like my godparents, they were the Cosby's. Right. You right. know, the father was a dentist, mm-hmm. then the educators, everybody was educated. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't even a bougie experience. Yeah. It was just the expectation that we have for one another mm-hmm. and it would be that you will succeed. I, I grew up as a, with a single mom mm-hmm. who 
was extremely hardworking and I was her only child and there was a standard, you know, um, there was a personal standard. There, were, You were going to achieve, you were going to do something, you were gonna make an impact, you were gonna make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that specifically to having a mayor like Coleman Young mm-hmm. because black people felt empowered. Mm-hmm. He was very clear about, this is for the betterment of the city of Detroit, which was predominantly black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love about his story, and this is why I love to hear Kari tell the stories, is that he was so not a racist. He was the furthest (laughs) from a racist, Mm -hmm. but he was about Mm self-love. And all racists do that. Mm -hmm. They love love themselves. They make sure they're empowered. Mm -hmm. And so I think we are the results of... We're all people who are pro their community. Right, correct. You know. Yeah, but all races outside of us are pro their community. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you don't know? you don't ask a dog to go meow. Right, right, right. It ain't right. You don't right. respect it. You know, right. So, yeah, and right. that's not about racism. That's about self love. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. You know? right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that there was a lot that I did take for granted. Mm-hmm. I took mm-hmm. for granted that I knew black lawyers, mm-hmm. judges, um, doctors, mm-hmm. um, teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was just our community. Yeah. So I I'm very very grateful that I was able to experience that, and I must admit, now that I'm seeing the shift, mm-hmm. I have a better appreciation for what that looked like. And what what's the shift that you're noticing? Um, there's a shift in power, mm-hmm. and what that looks like mm-hmm. presently. Mm-hmm. And I'm not intimidated by that at all, mm-hmm. but it's just the reality mm-hmm. that we live in presently, mm-hmm. and. Um, when you look at a Coleman Young and think about the times that he came up in, that took a lot of guts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine his constitution. Yes, that you took know? a lot of uh. wherewithal. Yeah. And in some ways, some of that's been kind of beaten out of us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, deliberately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really. I have to think about how much he had to take on as a person just to be that light to everybody else, just to be that that hope and to say what we were thinking or, you know, Detroiters were thinking and feeling about themselves and, you know, wanting to be empowered and wanting to have someone be their voice in, in politics. But, you know, he had to deal with so much of everybody else or even mm-hmm. probably people. I don't know his family, but probably there are people around him that were like, Hey, you better calm down. You know, Absolutely. if you want to have a long life and <laughs> be well, fine. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I do know his family. Okay. <laughs> many, many of them are, are my board members. Um, and here's the thing that that's amazing about him and the family. First of all, they all look like him. That's 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 just you know. So it's like every time I see him, it's like I see Mayor Young. You're right. You know, but um, the other piece is that when you put in context what he dealt with, you know, Mayor Young. Um, not from the time he was mayor, but from the time, no, 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 from the time he became mayor to the time he left office, he had his taxes and his personal finances audited by the IRS every mm. year um, because of his role during the McCarthy era and his activism. Uh, uh, he was, he had his phones tapped. Mm. You know, um, he was you know, accused and suspected of, of, you know, corrupt practices 
that were investigated and looked into by federal authorities and never proven. Mm. So today, people still have the nerve to say, oh, he was corrupt. Da, 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 da. Well, I happen to know he gave his last $3 million away to start the Coleman and Young Foundation. He, he, he effectively left office um, and was living in a one-bedroom apartment at the time of his death. Um, uh, his, his, and, and I say all that to say, that's the climate that he worked mm -hmm. under mm -hmm. for 20 years. The point is not to say that he was clean, though a lot of people tried to throw mm -hmm. accusations. The point is that many people don't know that he was also often the funniest person really? that his friends knew. Um, this is how black he was, because we all deal with, you know, the black experience involves knowledge of trauma, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the funniest people you know are black people. Yeah. The ones who laugh the loudest and the hardest. Yeah. You know, that's part of our rebellion process, you know. Mm -hmm. And he embodied that, mm -hmm. you know. People would say, you know, he would take a document and walk from one end of a hallway to the other and go into a meeting and be able to discuss that document verbatim, you know, or, or yeah. point for point, if yeah. not verbatim. But he, he had a, he had almost photographic reflexes. He was he was a happy guy. He was a, 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 a funny guy. He was a studious guy an intellect mm -hmm. um, who happened to have a hood side mm -hmm. an edge mm -hmm. you know all right so they have that in Oakland County to an extent mm -hmm. their own version of that in, in, in L. Brooks Patterson you know that rambunctious but but smart guy da, 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 who rides with his people mm -hmm. and they call him a hero mm -hmm. you know well don't be surprised don't 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 take offense to the fact that we say the same thing mm -hmm. about the mayor yeah I know last time we spoke we talked about finding our voice um, mm -hmm. and I have to imagine he had to find his voice, but you all have to find y'all's voices as well. Um, especially taking up the torch and wife he, or, or with, uh, with the foundation, sure. um, sure. right now yeah, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. with the uh, foundation of continuing holding that torch and stuff. And you're dealing with a lot of students who mm -hmm. need someone. I know we talked about being hands-on mentorship, mm -hmm. you know? How do you find that voice as you um, connect with your students and, and take the organization? On? We find our voice by encouraging theirs. Mm -hmm. um, Mayor Young said that 20 years after I'm gone, you shouldn't say the words Coleman A. Young Foundation and see my face first. Um, he, had a, he had a real strong connection to where young Detroiters were headed. Mm -hmm. So today, you know, when, when we look at the things that our scholars are doing, we realize that it's not incumbent upon us to be their bullhorn. Mm -hmm. We have to figure out ways to give them the bullhorn, mm -hmm. you know, because they have their voices already. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to manipulate it. I want to, I, I want to amplify it. Mm -hmm. um, we had one young lady who just finished interning with NBC Nightly News, mm -hmm. Balester Holt. You know, she walked away with her own newsreel. Wow. You know, and and she spent her day-to-day -day activity fact-checking stories that he was reporting that night. Have another young lady who just got back from from Microsoft. Another young man who just got back from Nike Corporation for the summer. Um, the young lady who came back from Microsoft in, in three years at U of M has been to Iceland, Ecuador, South Africa, New York, and Seattle. Wow. Um, you don't need my voice. <laughs> you know, you need a platform. Mm -hmm. You know, you you are empowered already. You're ahead of the curve already. You just need those experiences that affirm that. 
you know, within you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the, the thing that we get is that if we're, if we spend every day telling these young scholars, you know, you got this, you got this, you can do this. We got your back. You mm -hmm. got your back. They're going to go, they're going to succeed. And then one day somebody's going to ask them, who do you owe it to? And they're going to say, you know what? Coleman and Young Foundation had my back from day one. Mm -hmm. You know, we get that. You know, because we we've lived that, and, and that's how life works. You know, you you remember the people who made you feel, yeah, you know, yeah, progressive, yeah. Um, so that's our job. That's our job, and you know, a lot of that involves just you know the it involves taking the late night phone call mm -hmm. and saying, you know, no, don't go out, stay in, mm -hmm. you know, boot up, mm -hmm. get it done, you know, mm -hmm. um that's how you work the voice mm -hmm. it's it's an internal thing and then they become the projection for that voice i like that i did not um so i know that since the foundation has um started mm -hmm. and you've helped over 500 students yeah what does and i know and before you talked about having that old-fashioned mentoring what mm -hmm. does old-fashioned mentoring look like to you that 10 o'clock phone call the yeah. text message, <laughs> um the 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 fact that they can dm the executive director whenever they want mm -hmm. um call me by my first name mm -hmm. you know um i remember when you had the uh, medical student who um, <clears throat> didn't have any food it's that, you know, we had a young man who, who called and, you know, Mr. Turner, can you help me with my resume? Yeah. And then he says nothing. So I'm like, what's really good? Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't eaten in two days. <laughs> and next thing you know, my wife and my son and I are at his house, stocking his fridge, mm. you know, um, the stuff on paper, the systematic part, that mm, that doesn't cover it. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's for the funders. So mm -hmm. I can say we've got an actual system. Mm -hmm. But but the, uh, I didn't expect to get emotional, but the part that tugs your heart mm -hmm. and, and gives gravity to these kids' uh, situations is that piece. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that makes you know where the real work lies, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if he can eat tonight, he can study tomorrow. Mm -hmm. If he can study tomorrow, maybe he can repeat, mm -hmm. you know, so we got to keep that going. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing that I implore funders to understand is that even though the trends go in the directions that they go, you know, when you're working with young people like that, um, you're more than, you're more than, um, a scholarship gift mm -hmm. you know you're more than a mentor mm -hmm. you're a talent incubator for the city because those kids are going to want to graduate and go live and work in a place that feels like home mm -hmm. so maybe because of our interaction with them Detroit now feels like home mm -hmm. I'm coming home my neighborhood was fucked up growing up mm -hmm. you know um, my family excuse me my family mm -hmm. situation was not what I what I wanted it to be but because of the last four years of my life, I see a place for myself in the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back and contribute. Mm -hmm. That's the end game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, as someone who's a recent graduate, and I've gone through my own journeys of 
become independent as <laughs> in, as I started sophomore year and having a lot of realities hit on me, um, having to have multiple jobs and stuff like that. It wasn't until afterwards and I started finding people who, who were like you all, who had really strong um, integrity and character that cared about my journey and what mm-hmm. I was going through. And it helps you hold on for mm-hmm. longer. It helps you have hope for all the million things that didn't go right or all the million people who told you this is what you're going to be or this is why your life ended up like where you at or whatever. You give them hope that they can keep fighting for that dream that they mm-hmm. started off on, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that, especially from our first conversation, just you two together, you can tell that you all are in something, like something good, you know, like um, for me, it'd be God, you know, you could tell Mm -hmm. y'all probably are people of faith or you all um, are trying to be light to other people. And Mm -hmm. that's something that made me so excited about this um, conversation. And that, like you said, it's not just about raising money. Mm-hmm. Because I've met a lot of people and they raise millions of dollars, you know, a year for this and that. And when you talk to them, their heart's not in it. They don't mm-hmm. know the people they're helping. Yeah. They know the people who giving, but they don't know those people's lives or, you know, the things that they're struggling with. Like the I need food right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's anybody else that could actually tell this to, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and admit I'm in med school. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's supposed to be making it right now. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So and it shouldn't have, be. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was gonna say I have to honestly say I think if if I had a Coleman Young Foundation or that level of support, I would have done much. I would have had a much better college experience. Yeah. You know, I think the support is it's everything. Yeah. College mm-hmm. life, community, mm-hmm. it's everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, we went to a funeral today, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, every time you get to a funeral you were always reassessing and evaluating mm-hmm. and this man lived a long beautiful life he was 84 he was well loved mm. he was but the thing that I was most impressed with it wasn't uh, <clears throat> that he had a lot of accomplishments mm-hmm. you know quotes but his biggest accomplishment that everybody talked about was how kind and loving he was mm-hmm. and that everybody talked about how he made them feel Mm-hmm. Everybody talked about he never forgot their name or he never forgot who they were and mm-hmm. that he always had a smile and a kind word for them. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about what he drove. They didn't talk about where he lived. Right. They didn't talk about his position. Mm-hmm. They talked about the love that he shared in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I feel really, really blessed and fortunate to have a husband who has work that's purposeful mm-hmm. and to have a purposeful life myself. And cause that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When it's, when it's all said and done, nobody will care what you had on. That's yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Nobody will Same. care about that. Yeah. yeah. And so this is a quick one. This thing is fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm really hope that we suck it up and that we contribute to the positive energy and contribute to something beautiful. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's what our gifts, talents, and skills are for. Yeah. To yeah. contribute. I like that. I feel this shift toward me and you because the, the truth is we neither one of us has uh, ever enjoyed life when we when we attempt to separate. Mm-hmm this you know home from our our work um 
I tried it and was miserable. Mm-hmm. Was coming home feeling like I was gonna have a stroke. That was in a former position. Um, Tunisia has always been her best professional self as an entrepreneur. Um, when she delves into her clients' issues, her clients always get the most from her when when they start to glean from her. Look, I think what he's trying to get is when we first got together, I used I was always about the money. Mm. I'm like, how much is it? Mm-hmm. How, how much we make? <laughs> like, he would be like, babe, I'm doing it. How much they paying you? Right. No. <laughs> I was, I was, I Let's check that. our budget. Okay. Like, you know, he calls me the, you know, I'm the money police. Because right. we're both, both we're actually, we're both, we still have a strong financial conversation in mm-hmm. our Absolutely. in our relationship. Absolutely. You know? But but we realize now that that the money is a tool for a greater thing. Absolutely. And that and that money is only gonna make you more of what you already are. Mm-hmm. So we really need to be about being the best people, the best uh the, the best husband and wife, the best friends mm-hmm. that we can to each other, the best examples for our son Max. And you know, that you know, that puts all the financial stuff and perspective. I don't, I don't think either one of us in any way wants the story of our life to be the story of stuff. Mm-hmm. Never. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's not the point, you know. Yeah. We like stuff. Great experiences. You know? I love great experiences. Yeah. yeah. You know, like yeah. so <laughs> we want So now we're at the point in life where you know, we don't trip on the check. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. What we trip on is what that check makes possible. Mhm. So yo, we we going where? <laughs> you know? So it's like, you know, but it's, and then, you know, we're, we're no longer into going off somewhere to sit on a resort. Mm-hmm. You know, we want that experience. You know, I want to be, I want to see people and, and culture mm-hmm. and lifestyles. And I want to see how other people interpret their faith and, and, and the meaning of life. You mm-hmm. know, da, 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 da. So all that, you know, all that is what all this work stuff, you know, works toward whether it's whether it's combing a young foundation or something else it has to serve mm-hmm. it, its purpose has to serve the to greater, that, that the greater, that greater purpose, i agree that greater end you know yeah, yeah. i heard through the grapevine that your high school sweethearts is that no that's no, not true. no i heard that, <laughs> Who told you that? And one of my friends i remember i was telling you all that before i came up here i um went to the the event downtown um Oh, Cheryl. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Either I can tell you how we met or she can tell you how we met. Tell me, tell me. But it ain't going to come out the same. (laughs) (laughs) He always embellishes. Okay. In his story, he's an Adonis in his story. (laughs) No, no. Now, here's the thing We, we were not high school sweethearts, but. You were just my first my first childhood home was on Finkel and Lejeure. Mm-hmm. Tunisia's grandparent lived grandparent lived one block over on Tracy and Lejeure. So that's the mm-hmm. interesting thing. Like it was literally, from she jump. was growing up. <laughs> she was growing up hanging out literally one block. Wow. From from the, my childhood home, and then we didn't end up meeting until we were in our twenties. Um, uh, we were were both artists, mm-hmm. performance artists, and. We were both at an audition. Mm-hmm. She was singing. I was the only MC in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both got each other's attention. She was singing with this other, you know, corny bald head dude. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not corny. He was, right, right. He was corny. I'm bald and handsome. He was bald and cornball. <laughs> I think he had him like this white shirt with the chest open or something like that. Taco meat. Are you serious? Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember, I remember that. that. You know, <laughs> okay. I remember that. 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 I remember that
That's that's an embellishment. But no, she was just she was there singing with another cat. We didn't speak, but we got each other's attention. Mm-hmm. Is is that fair enough to say? Absolutely. We so, didn't speak, but we got each other's this attention. This is my version of the story. Mm-hmm. We were both at this audition mm-hmm. and we did not speak, but I liked him immediately. Mm-hmm. And he I saw him and I said, I like him. And he got up to speak. And I looked at him and I said, I really like him. Yeah. But we never talked. Mm-hmm. And so I had been visiting this church for about six months. I'm at church. I look up and I see him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's the guy from the audition. Well, he happened to be speaking to a mutual friend. Yeah. So I walked over to the mutual friend and the mutual friend introduced us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I think I said, hey, you're the rapper. And he was like, yeah, you're the singer. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, let's keep in touch, you know, so we can talk about more auditions. And he was like, yeah, yeah. He took my number. He called me the next day. I'm like, yeah, yeah I didn't say you can call me. I just said, let's keep in touch. Right. <laughs> That's a new line right there. But it's true. I called her, I heard glee in her voice. I, know. I was like, yeah, he's going <laughs> to. No. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> Yeah, and we talked on the phone for like four hours. Yeah, right? mm. it, was, it was one of those odd night things. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So we've uh, we've been together for twenty four years now. We've been married nineteen. No, like we were together and broke up. And we don't really count that though. <laughs> we stayed. We stayed friends. You know. <laughs> We Sorry. broke up and we really were done. Like yeah, done, we broke done. up. Oh wow. Yeah, we were not together for like a year and a half, and then we ended up getting back together. Wow, wow. So I read that um, before you encouraged him, um, I guess in 1999 to start a new group. Mm-hmm. Um, is it the Black Bottle Collective? Yeah, that's and right. you Black became Bottle the the BBC. vocalist. That's correct. Yes. Um, the great saints goes behind every great man is a great woman or even better woman if you yeah. <laughs> if you have yeah. my philosophy and it yeah. seems like you've always supported him um, absolutely um I would have to so so when I introduced Kari to some of my friends mm-hmm. I'll never forget this girl she said that's a little boy you like that little boy <laughs> and I was like I, I saw this giant yeah you know, i'm like oh no that's my king warrior <laughs> he is not but at the time he was 23 years old mm-hmm. so looking back at the pictures he really was yeah, I was, yeah, that was like 40 pounds ago <laughs> i was thin <laughs> but i think that one of our ble- our best uh attributes with one is that we really support each other mm-hmm. and that I'll, I'll i openly will say i wouldn't be tanisha turner and he wouldn't be kari kamani turner if we had supported each other's endeavors and we and all along the way we've always supported each other's endeavors mm-hmm. and as a result of it you know we've had a lot of success together yeah yeah i a lot of times today um you see a lot of couples that don't end up making it for a long term you know mm-hmm. and i think part of it is that as human beings we change over time and a lot of times we're not comfortable with seeing our partner change and grow and mature to themselves. Mm. How did you That's all perceptive. kind of? <laughs> That's, That's a really good question. Yeah. And, and I can really speak to this because uh, I was I used to own a day spa and I had, it was a young woman in my spa and she said to me, why do people get married to get divorced? Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, because you don't know it until you're in it. And she said, well, what do you mean? And she said, why is it so difficult? And I said, because it has to sustain the evolution of both people, mm. the relationship. Mm. And I think that 
you're not the same person. You should not be the same person at 20 years, at mm-hmm. 40, and you, that you are at, at 20. Yeah. You know what I mean? You should mm-hmm. you should be evolving. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but at the core, mm-hmm. the core of who you are, that always stands true. Yeah. So I think one of our blessings is that I liked his core. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think Vice he versa. likes my core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because all the other stuff is just part of the 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 the, the roller coaster ride. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's cool, but mm-hmm. at the core, he is super cool. People. Mm-hmm. You know, Thank and at the babe. core, he knows I got his back, mm-hmm. and he knows that I'm a ride, and I'm a die, and it's he knows Tanisha Turner is riding for him yeah. at all times. Yeah. And she yeah. knows that I know. She's really smarter than me. <laughs> uh, she can count better than me. Uh, she's got a brighter personality than me. Um, but she still gets behind me. That's, you know, my 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 dream is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a reputation mm-hmm. in the city. But sometimes I feel like people really need to know my wife. Yeah. You know, um. And I don't feel that way at all. I feel like the people that know me need. Yeah, she knows a ton. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm really yeah, good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good over here. I'm sure. I know. I know. I don't me, need to be known. I'm fine. And I should. I, I want to amend that statement a little bit because I'm making it sound like nobody knows her. She's yeah. got her her village and her network, and you know, uh, and, and it's there. But um, you know, she really has. You know, she really has been just an amazing friend and partner over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, and. And even though it's mutual, um, I think if I had to count, you know, she, I, I would have to admit that Tunisia is the one who first voluntarily became the wind beneath my wings as opposed to it being mm-hmm. vice versa. And and I think the the partnership plays into the fact that, you know, um, I, we're both very conscious about not doing things exclusive of one another, mm-hmm. you know, so... I tell people often, yeah, Black Bottom Collective, I'm the leader, mm-hmm. but it was her idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't exist if she doesn't say, you miss music, you know, mm-hmm. just out here going to the poetry spots mm-hmm. is not enough for you. Yeah. Put and I've together, written yeah. this book and I'm like, music is, yeah, so turn she, this book into music and yeah. you'll be able to sell yeah. it. And then, and then mm-hmm. my, my Again, blessing I is that, think, yeah, 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 no, no, yeah, she, she is, she, <laughs> she has a financial vision Yeah. and I'm I'm a recovering spender, so I I have amended my behavior Mm -hmm. and relearned and rewired myself, you know, over the years to think more like her Mm -hmm. financially. But she would probably say that over the years I'm a recovering miser. (laughs) 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 So we kind of we kind of come we've played off closer to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, Riel, you know, it's it's absolutely true um, that that. You know, we we count our friends, and sometimes it seems like half of our friends who are married have made it, and half have not. You mm-hmm. know, I do think you go into a marriage being somewhat aware of the thing that you can ride with mm-hmm. your whole life. You mm-hmm. know, it's that you know, it's like they say, you know, why doesn't a planet break apart because it's got something at its core, mm-hmm. yeah, that holds it together. Mm-hmm. You know, marriages that last usually that happens you yeah. you identify that thing mm-hmm. you know that that you can ride with um and and then if you hold to that you can allow each other to grow and you can establish trust and you know because you're both becoming the caretakers of each other's core 
um, you recognize that it's the one job you will have that has no breaks, Mm -hmm. no time off, Mm -hmm. no weekends, no vacations, no matter where you go. Right. So when, whenever, if I have to travel, Tunisia is with me, whether she's with me or not, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm representing the, I'm representing this union and this family and vice versa, you know, Mm -hmm. no matter what I'm doing. So I never, am going to do anything intentionally to bring shame Mm -hmm. to her name, Mm -hmm. uh, to my son, Mm -hmm. to, to this street. Cause I got a cousin right there and a mama down there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it all, it, it, no matter how complex my world gets around me, it gets real simple when I walk in this door, mm. you know, and, and that core is a very simple core. I love this woman. I'm I'm riding this thing out with this woman. Um, whatever, water, wall, treetop tall, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care what the, what the future brings. I'm in it, mm-hmm. and and I think she feels the same way. I would so, have to add, yeah. though, I think our core too is definitely love of God, mm-hmm. all day, love of our community, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. love of ourself, mm-hmm. love of art, mm-hmm. and a and a deep um, appreciation for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's always some project happening at mm-hmm. the Turner's house. Never a dull moment at the like, So that's why people are like, guys, you've been together 20 years. I'm like, yeah, we've been busy. Like, right. <laughs> we've been nowhere years because there was always something to be doing at the Turner's house. That's true. So, that's true. Yeah, we've never. So I think uh, that is also a commonality. Like, we both desire to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's always something we're doing. Yeah. And I have like a question kind of picking back off of that one for you, Kari. Um, and I know you you are a hip hop head, and uh-huh. you probably heard the um, Jay Z's latest album. Oh yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have the title. I have the title. He got it the first day it came out. It was all he was like, "Babe, you got you got you got to get that new Jay Z. You got to listen to Jay Z, babe. You got." Oh my goodness, yes. And um, I know last time we talked about like kind of the evolution of you over the years and Jay-Z you can tell he's had this evolution and um I guess my question is like as a black man um what was like the moment where you really felt she was like the wind beneath your wings like Mm. that it clicked not like oh she just a ride or die I can do whatever she's there but like no she's really supporting me and taking me helping me go to a next level that I couldn't go by myself Mm. It was, uh, there's, there's more than one moment, but mm-hmm. I can tell you the first moment yeah. um, where I knew that there was something different about Tunisia. It was when we broke up. Mm-hmm. I've told the story to her and, and I've told, I tell it often to, um, just often. Mm-hmm. Um, we dated six months. I was living in an apartment with my brother and I was still feeling mm-hmm. like, like I wanted to, you know, do the oat sewing thing mm-hmm. and da, 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 da. And, um, the night we broke up. I called myself, you know, ending it, Mm -hmm. you know, in my immaturity that felt empowering Mm -hmm. in that moment. And, um, when I told Tunisia, she was over my apartment and I told her that I wanted to, uh, I gave her the space line or some kind of cock and line. And she looked me square in the face and said, I don't want you anywhere. You don't want to be. That blew my mind. You know, we're in our Mm twenties and, that was the most mature statement, the most confident statement I ever heard 
from any woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, set short of my mama. Right. You know, <laughs> at that point in my life, and I real and, and in that instance, I remember wondering if I was doing the right thing. Mm. You know, but I also realized that she was something I wasn't ready for. Mm-hmm. So I was right. You know, I was making yeah. the right call at that moment. But I found myself shortly after hoping. And then we actually had a date that night. We hung out together that night. Mm. You know, we talked. We and she handled it like such a boss that I was like, all right, you know what? What, what, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I, for now, let me just not burn this bridge. Right. You know, and and I was really thinking it was it, we were done. I was gonna go on and do my thing, but um, uh, and and as we said earlier, you know, we did. We were finished with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, she went on with her life. We went on with our life. You know, and all the detail that happens in between. Um, and then about a year and a half, well, we, we worked on music together in, mm-hmm. during that year and a half that we were apart. It was cool to know that we were still friends. And then about a year and a half later, um, Tunisia and I went in the studio to work on a project together and a snowstorm occurred that night and <laughs> we were wasting time doing much of nothing. And in the midst of that time, something just kind of hit me. I was like, you know what? Nah, she's where I need to be. Yeah. Um, and I came up with, you want to take the story from me? Oh my she, God. She loves, to, she loves yeah. to talk about how I tried to play it. And I can't defend myself on this. First of all, the six months was like eight to 10 months we dated, first of all. Okay. Before, but was it, was it I, yeah, I let that go. But anyway. Um, and it did, the conversation was sort of like that, but he was sort of hemming and hawing. I'm not sure what I want, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, no, 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 you need to be sure. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure, it's cool, but you need to be sure. Yeah. And then his friend called me up a year and a half later and said, hey, will you come work in the studio? Will you come do some vocals for us? And I, was I like, told yeah. him to call. I told Rick to call. Did you really? Yeah, I did. I suggested you. I've never realized that. That's yeah, because we had done the, we had done the uh, your boys project, the Maroon project. All right, okay, all right. Anyway, so his friend calls me about it, the blue one's like, can you, do, <laughs> can you do some vocals for us? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then we ended up back in the studio together. That's how we started. So that part is right. Yeah. Yes. I like that. I think that's something that shocked me. Um... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. And then she came to my mama's house because I was living with my mama. <laughs> um, she came to my mother's house. She brought my mom a little gift. Mm-hmm. Gave my mom because a I had known his parents. She had, mm-hmm. she had gotten to know my mom. Right. And, and my mom was sitting in the basement. Tanisha came down and kissed her and said, hey, Miss Turner. And my mother knew that we were mm-hmm. starting to date again. And Tanisha went back upstairs. And I was sitting there with my mom and her friend. And my mom looked at her friend and said, she's the one. Mm. When your mama says that, <laughs> you know, it's like, yo, right. she identified. All right. So she sees something that I need to study. Yeah. And we haven't been apart since. Wow. I love it. I love yeah. it. And so I know you um, had a day spa I and I read that you were the first African-American woman in Detroit to you might not want to claim that title, but we're giving it to you. I read it. Okay, it's, okay. It's in black and white. Okay? <laughs> I don't know that that's true. Um, I will say that I do know that we were at the forefront. Yeah. You know, at the time I um, opened my day spa in Ferndale, Michigan, mm-hmm. there were no spas there at the time. Mm. And um, there were definitely no African-American spas there at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we were definitely at the forefront. And what inspired that? I know we were talking about before how, like, 
my thing right now, and it'll probably be my thing till I die, is mental health. Absolutely. And bringing mm-hmm. awareness, um, especially, I mean, different communities, but especially in our community, um, talking about mental health, talking about self-care for both black women and black men. Sure. And getting everybody comfortable with letting their guards down and really being able to evaluate, like, no, I need to take some time to sure. recoup, mm-hmm. you know? So the, and this is what I've been able to evaluate um, being some years out of it, it's always been about creating the right, creating space for Mm -hmm. people, creating Mm -hmm. a safe space for people. And so some years ago, I went to a day spa. I had a beautiful experience. It was all white. Mm -hmm. And I immediately felt like I want to do this for black women and all people, but where black women can come and feel comfortable. And that's what we created. And, uh, it was such a beautiful experience watching people come in one way and leave out another. And we would, you know, we had health cards on people. Mm-hmm. So when I would see how many people were on depression medication mm-hmm. and it was so common mm-hmm. and this goes, this is across, across the board. It yeah. wasn't just black people. It was, we had a, a very, really diverse staff and actually a really diverse uh, clientele at the time. I want to come back to that when you're done too. We did. Um, and of course, a lot of black women were attracted to it because they knew that it was a black woman owner. Right. And um, we created this really cool, intimate experience where people could let down their guards, mm-hmm. relinquish their stress, mm-hmm. and um, very non-judgment, not non-judgmental, and very um, unpretentious. Mm-hmm. And that was deliberate. Mm-hmm. So it's always been about this. And so Kari, every time I would come home all the time, he'd be like, who cried today? How many people <laughs> cried today? Because I cannot tell you that at least once a day, somebody would cry there. And yeah. we all, I always considered that an honor. Yeah. Like I always knew that when people were crying, it was because they felt safe mm-hmm. because they knew they could. Mm-hmm. And we literally would have people say, I don't know why I'm telling you all of this, yeah. <laughs> but we knew why because there was love in the room, mm-hmm. you know, there was love in the walls. Mm-hmm. Tunisia is the first person that I saw practice good customer service from a point of personal interest. Mm. Um, she's very astute. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the first person I ever heard say the one thing that's better than black business is good business that happens to be black. Mm. You know, um, she's the first person I ever saw as a, she's the first black business owner I ever saw take an inventory, um, a real inventory of where the best, uh, vendor relations were for her business, Mm. um, based on quality of service delivery first. And I think because of that, because of that fundamentals never felt like a black spot in me, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I would walk in, and and the staff reflected Ferndale's yeah, population, right. community, yeah. you know, um, from color to gender to sexual orientation, it right. reflected it all, um, and everyone, everyone was she honored culture, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know, if you want to invite conflict invoke race mm. if you want to invoke if you want to invite humanity mm-hmm. and learning opportunities invoke culture mm. and she did a very good job of invoking culture mm. at her spa so 
we we knew that she had clients who were heavily church people who had biases toward people based on what the word said about gay straight mm-hmm. and they were walking the fundamentals and everybody was just on one accord mm-hmm. you know her her energy just mandated that mm-hmm. and it was very very organic um she hired she i think she employed over 100 people no over, I, I had uh 50 staff members i, I employed over 50 was it 50 okay yeah, mm-hmm. in the 10 years okay i stand corrected but um no, she was she was very good at forecasting. Mm-hmm. You know, she opened her spa because she saw she saw a, a, a gap that needed to be filled in mm-hmm. terms of the quality of service delivery offered mm-hmm. to populations of color. Uh, and then she sold her business because she saw where the economy was heading and how it was starting to affect. I saw the shift coming. The industry. Wow. So she very wisely downsized. She didn't she didn't just sell the business. Yeah. She sold it to. A person who was willing to see it through the economic downturn, mm. which is why fundamentals still exists. Yeah. Um, and shout out to Katrina Mitchell. And and then she stayed in close proximity so she could be an organic consultant. So we could transition needed. out. Yeah. Right. And she downsized to to a more manageable business uh, with a faster product and a, and a wider profit margin. Mm-hmm. I thought that was ingenious. Wow. You know, and, and I tell Tony Joe often, you know, this is one of the reasons why I say I wish more people knew my wife. Yeah. Um, because the things that people go off to school and pay a hundred thousand dollars to learn, mm-hmm. she's taught herself. No, I've learned by <laughs> banging my head no, she's yeah. really hard yeah. a whole lot of years now. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of people don't learn it. Yeah. You, you know how no, they say and like I'm the majority. Still learning. Yes. But there's a reason that the majority of millionaires in this country don't have college degrees, mm-hmm. and it's because they go through the process that she went through. Yeah. You know, um, college until very recently taught us to work for people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Tunisia's track is different. Mm-hmm. You know, she learned to create mm-hmm. and sustain, mm-hmm. and I have siphoned off of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and, and that's why I'll say to the end of the world, yeah, my wife is smarter than me. You know, she she's mm-hmm. been my template for many things. You know, and mm-hmm. and it's it's mutual, but she's been my template for many of the things that have sustained uh, this household. That know? that brings me to another question I had for you. Um, a lot of times I see, and this is across race and whatever like for a lot of men it's really hard to have a very strong woman and someone who knows what she wants or what God has put into her to do you know Mm -hmm. um it can be very intimidating because you don't see the vision that your partner sees well like for a lot of women we're taught we're we're supposed to go with whatever the man has in his mind you know to create and whatnot how has that been for you? Has it ever been tough or, sure. um, yeah, how has that journey it been? Has. Yeah, yeah, oh. I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a man with a male ego, you know. You know, and, and you're a creator too. And <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm creative and, and I'm also entrepreneurial, you know, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Um, so there, there's some, there's some philosophies that I've certainly outgrown mm-hmm. over the years. Um, and then I, you know, we are socialized in the society to to take the lead in our household. And then the danger is that you know every guy interprets that his own way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and uh, you know my parents have been married 51 years, and I watched them grow from contentious to harmonious mm. over the length of my life. You know, my time on earth. Um, and they are examples to me of both how I don't want my marriage to be conducted and 
how I want my marriage to be at its most optimal point. Mm-hmm. They've run the gamut. <laughs> you know, shout out to Ron and Marva Turner. But um, so I, I had an idea of what I wanted my marriage to be and what I wanted my role to be in it. I wanted to be a real partner. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of knew, I, I learned early on that that was going to take a lot of suppression of mm-hmm. the ego. Um, a lot of a uh, much more open ear than an open mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, so the 80-20 rule plays out a lot in our union. Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah and and I've learned that over time i don't I don't know if there was like a, a cathartic moment you know um i love I love the fact that the first argument we had she raised up that was just, <laughs> okay that was, that was hot <laughs> that was hot that was a hot moment for her in the best way I loved it you know because I was like, oh okay, she's not afraid right. I love that mm-hmm. you know I didn't want a submissive woman mm-hmm. I, I wanted I wanted that wife who would help me feel like I went from man to Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, she should take credit for that, mm-hmm. you know, um, because she has been accountable. She's held me accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does. It, it has taken a, a suppression of ego. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the bottom line to it all. You know, I've had to check myself over the years on many occasions um, because Tunisia does have strong opinions. Mm-hmm. She is not one to hold her tongue mm-hmm. anywhere mm-hmm. Um, for anybody. She's not a respecter of titles. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't impress her. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another behavior I've picked up from her over the years. I've, I've learned not to respect titles, but to respect character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, the, my smarter self prevail. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm like, oh, no, she's got her finger on the pulse of some good right. stuff here, you know, so let me let me learn from it, you know. Um, um yeah. And yeah. I was going to say, I think it goes both ways when you have um, <clears throat> two very strong personalities mm-hmm. in a home, in a marriage, in a relationship. Um, I think that it takes compromise. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely think that as women, mm-hmm. and specifically married women, there's some compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, because when Kari met me, I would have jumped on a plane any day, anytime I felt like it, like, and just <laughs> be out, right? <laughs> and so, in fact, I think I did it a couple times in our marriage, and he was like, are you out of your mind? Like, <laughs> I didn't use like, those words. <laughs> I didn't use those words. I think I was more like, this ain't working. This ain't Because I'd be like, I'm, I'm about to fly, too. Yeah. He's like, you know you got a husband, right? And I'm like, yeah. So, no, I think that that goes both ways. And I think, mm-hmm. and, and I don't, you know, I guess... For lack of a better word, I would say suppression of ego, even for women, too. Yeah. Especially a strong... Um, I think one of the advantages, too, because I grew up in a single family scenario, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't have, like, an ideal, yeah, you know, concept yeah. of marriage. I always kind of had this realistic... Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I didn't go into it. I went into it like, hey, let's give it a shot. Right. You know? We just make this thing work. And so I always kind of uh, knew that no matter what, I could take care of myself. Yeah. So there wasn't a dependency there in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more like it was a choice. Yeah. It was a choice to be submissive. It was a, It's a choice. Yeah. Not because Definitely. I felt like, uh, you know, it was a necessity. Right. right. It was a choice. That's so there, And there's a weird setup for success here mm-hmm. because she's looking at it, making the choice to be su- submissive you said and be mm-hmm. in partnership mm-hmm. um 
from the standpoint of the only child who never really had to be accountable to anybody mm-hmm. um, besides her, her mother. Her mom, yeah. And I'm looking at the choice to be in partnership and to be submissive as, as, as a husband. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can probably get see that we have a, a, a keen definition mm-hmm. of what submission is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's submission to the will of the whole, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not about you know how how you want me to jump out. No, no, it's, it's about not, the better. It's the about better what's good for them, right, what's good absolutely. for the family. So we both came in willing to be submissive. She came from that standpoint. I came from the the standpoint of the kid who watched his parents go from struggle to striving. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, work out their demons and their bad habits and, and build a rapport and fall in love all over again. Wow. That's, that's my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Wow. Know? Um, and rebuild the friendship and the respect, you know. Um, um, so I came in having noted things that I wanted to, if if God was willing, you know, avoid, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then strengths that I saw them build that I wanted to definitely emulate. Mm-hmm. Um, Tunisia referenced the importance of God in our household. Um, God is is the head of our household. Yeah. But we didn't approach God the same way all the time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the the discussion around spirituality has been a very intriguing discussion mm-hmm. you know between me and Tunisia um so but it's been an edifying one you know what's um, funny about that yeah. we were in the car once car was talking to a friend mm-hmm. and he said well you know Tunisia and I we have different belief systems and I was like we do wait he said like, I, <laughs> and I, had a, I was like really I didn't realize we did but what he was talking about is I have a more world perspective i don't like i am definitely spiritual and christian Mm -hmm. but i also have a world perspective around spirituality Mm -hmm. you know i don't not i i don't disrespect other people's religions i have great respect for all religions and you know so i'm not intimidated by reading other people's religions Mm -hmm. or learning more i'm a very curious person so i would learn as much as i can possibly learn and so i've always taken that approach yeah you know and so kari is i guess that's and i I also have that respect but maybe maybe my grounding in the tradition of the church Mm -hmm. is uh more traditional more traditional yeah you know and i definitely Uh you know I've, i've done everything from renaissance unity to be at the mosque mm-hmm. to go to the, i've like gone and chanted with the indians with the East, you know yeah. with the, with the <laughs> i've done all of that so yeah you know i don't believe i believe it's you know one got many paths so. yeah and i've studied and read about it but i ain't yeah. climbing on mountain top right i've been to the chopin center you know right. doing the chants and everything my girlfriend was like yeah. were you in there chanting i'm like i sure was i was in there chanting everybody else <laughs> wow and that yeah. that takes a huge like vulnerability to open up and not be self-conscious like this is not where i come from sure. this is not i didn't grow up chanting or yeah, whatever no, like, i'm really confident in that though. yeah I'm, I'm really confident in my spirituality my relationship with god so i don't feel it all, it all intimidated yeah by other people in their belief systems you can definitely tell that god is very much on you all and with you all like from Amen. from the first time i met you like you could just tell some people who are walking in that light and mm. who approach life through god versus through themselves and what they know and what they've been taught mm-hmm. um i had another question about i know we talked about you all moving the foundation you know and if you could talk about why you moved it, and then perhaps if you could talk about 
like your input because I'm sure y'all kind of approached that you had to be somewhat of a sounding board on that decision <laughs> and you know kind of as a team well, the, yeah. the simple joke of an answer is that we got gentrified out of downtown <laughs> <laughs> right the high you rent know, district uh, that's what yeah. yeah yeah we weren't the only nonprofit to to leave or start thinking about leaving downtown because when your rent jumps from thirteen dollars a square foot to twenty one mm. you got to think about how much money now is going toward admin that should be going toward youth sure. development and scholar mm-hmm. support you know um, it was a smart thing to do too because you guys learned to work more efficiently we so did you know, your you know, staff isn't as large yeah and... we got lean mm. you know we got lean and, and I think to an extent we got in better shape because of that you know we um you know I always say you know nonprofits are uh, wrongly named mm-hmm. we should be for impact organizations mm, I know. like that um we should have dope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, nonprofits should have money, but we should have enough to serve. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if uh, if if your staff is getting is earning a certain percentage of the budget, then that's gonna your personal earning is going to take care of itself as long as you continue to deliver the service. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why everybody is uh that's why everybody was envious two years ago of of uh the ALS thing. The ice challenge, the ice bucket challenge. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Because you could look at that from, from an executive standpoint and just be like, they just impacted how many more people Yeah. and got how many more raises right. in the process, da-da-da-da-da, you know. Um, um, so that was that was one of those situations that was just all good across the board. Yeah. They reported on it the right way. They they spent it the right way, you know, they, they circled back and yep. they I reported the to, a, to a global community. Mm-hmm. They stayed on mission. I was like, that's how you do it. Yeah. You know? And we were all envious that they found that carrot, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that carrot. We tried to do a version of the ice bucket challenge mm-hmm. and, you know, we raised a couple grand. <laughs> yeah. We did, we did what, an old school dance challenge? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's you know? cute. And we found out how many people out there are afraid to dance. Yeah. <laughs> Including so. his wife. He's yeah, like, are you going to do one? I'm like, absolutely not. No, no, no. You yeah, need yeah, for. Yeah. <laughs> you got me doing the Bismarck, you know. But, um, um, you know, we, we, we moved because the cost of business downtown just got too expensive. The blessing in that is that we moved to a really cool community. Yeah. You know, we're on 2nd and Palestine now. You yeah, visited yeah, our you offices. Have a nice, and, yeah. and our neighbors are people who are all vested in Detroit. And we, even since... Since you and I met, we've been able to have a great partnership established mm-hmm. with uh, Buff of Michigan and mm-hmm. Mario Morrow's around the corner, and he's been a, a great resource. Um, and the owner of the building is an African American. The owner man. of the building is Greg Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. so he's he's like a guru, you know, just having a brief conversation with him is fruitful. Yeah, um, he's very knowledgeable. His family is beautiful, you know, they're, they're invested and involved in the business, you know, his, his daughter, Annika, is our day to day. Uh, manager and she she's great um so you know it's it's cool and we're saving mm-hmm. you know money by being there so we're freer to focus on impacting our students so mm-hmm. it was just a good move yeah yeah my last question um I want to talk about Matt. All right. Mm-hmm. I know. We, we <laughs> I love talking to you all. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we're going to have to do a follow-up right. interview, you know. Yeah. Um, before you talked about um, your parents raising you with certain standards and, mm. and good standards. I've, and perhaps I've talked 
to people before about this, they're the Midwest culture, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, that I'm learning about. Because yeah. when I was growing up, my mind was only North versus South. I didn't know anything else. So um, what are some of the values that you are trying to instill in Max and or mm-hmm. you hope to instill? Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm just, I don't want to say prophesizing because I don't want God to strike me down i'm prognosticating Mm -hmm. that you're going to have a little creative entrepreneur too (laughs) i believe that he is dynamic Mm -hmm. um max has been i call him the amazing max the game changer Mm, Mm -hmm. yes that's what he's been to us and uh to some his experience up or to some our experience in max up every morning we have a mantra okay Mm. and it it evolved Mm -hmm. um and the mantra is, and I'd love to hear him say this every morning, mm-hmm. it's I am kind, mm-hmm. I am courageous, I'm a leader, and God is in me and in you. Mm. That sums Max Cole Turner up. Wow. He's amazing. He is strong-willed, determined, talent, far more talented than me and Kari. <laughs> like, we're amazed by him. He is so this musical and he is and loving mm. and thoughtful. And uh, the other day, mm-hmm. we went to a bounce house mm-hmm. and this little boy who's older than him pushed him. Mm. And I heard Max cry. I asked him what was wrong. He, he said, this, this little boy is pushing me. Um, the parent of a little boy reprimanded him. The boy admitted mm-hmm. that he had pushed Max. Mm-hmm. So we put him back in a bounce house, and I see that Max is running from the little boy. He's afraid of him. Mm. And I, I, did, I stuck a pen in it. Immediately, I came home, and I told my husband, mm-hmm. oh, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I stopped Max, and I talked to him, and I said, do you remember that happened to you? He was like, yeah. I was like, you're not afraid of anybody. Mm. And he, I was like, do you understand? And so we did his morning, his morning mantra. I was asking what's kind, what's courageous. He said, if somebody pushes you, you stand up for yourself. And I said, that is right. Yeah. Without prompting. Right. He said that himself. Three-year-old kid. Wow. Tunisia didn't tell him, this is what courageous means. Right. Connected dots for him. He just connected it. Wow. This, I don't know if, I don't know if. I don't know if uh, <laughs> Michael picked this up, but Tunisia said that Max is is uh, more talented than us. You may you may be able to yeah. tell what this song is. The little Bruno Mars. Exactly. And he key with that beat. He like yeah. pop pop. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my put, goodness. He put my Tim's on. Like, <laughs> he went to town, you know, but yeah. he's, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, it, it, so Max Max was born 16 years mm-hmm. after we got married. Um, and we, we laugh and say, with absolutely no good reason. You know, we stopped avoiding yeah. pregnancy many, many years TMI, ago. TMI. Yeah, but, um, 
it just happened when it happened mm-hmm. and it happened at just the right time mm-hmm. you know by the time max was born um tunisia and i were ready for something to come along to make sense of everything yeah we were we were really open and um we had traveled we had performed together we had created together we had started and and and, and shuttered businesses together mm-hmm. um and we were looking for something to come along and make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, you know, he can't. Yes. Max, Max, uh, he he just glued life mm-hmm. together for us, mm-hmm. everything, you know. So there, there's no loose thread, you know, in this house anymore. And uh, one day. That's a song, isn't it? Yeah, I got to write that down. Right. right. No loose thread in this house. No I like thread. that. That's beautiful. Um, one day. Um, <laughs> You know, the, the, the thing that excites me is that one day we're going to get a chance to articulate that to them. Mm-hmm. You know, black boys, mm-hmm. you know, what, what they grow up not getting in this community. You know, he gets in spades. Yeah. You know, he came, he comes to our life when the world owes us nothing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we, Tunisia and I, we had, we, we had done, done it. You know, we had lived, we dated for 16 years. Yeah. And he came and we were just ready to pour into him and pour into him and pour into him. So he's getting the best of both of us. Mm-hmm. He's getting all of mama, all of daddy. Mm-hmm. We tailor our lives around him. We're at a point where we understand the importance of accountability. So he's not just a little spoiled kid. You mm-hmm. know? He's getting he's getting reared. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we understand that he doesn't belong to us. Mm. It's such a privilege. Yeah. It's such a he's privilege our to be able to do it. It is yeah. it's such a privilege. Um, and he's a beautiful kid. He's, right. he's, he's just a... He's a beautiful kid, and, and he's beautiful because he's he gets to grow up and hang out with his grandmama every day. Yeah, he's very loved. You know, he he knows that all his grandparents are alive. Yeah. You know, and and you know my grandmother in Panama and my granddad in Panama. I loved them, but I only saw them three or four times. Mm-hmm. If you know, my my grandmother on my dad's side, I didn't see her all the time, and and I lived close to her. Max knows his grandparents by, by name and personality. Mm-hmm. Um, he sees his cousin. He steps outside. Hey, cousin. So he's got <laughs> a community. In 2017, he's got that old school black yeah. experience. Right. You know? My mother always says, this is how we grew up. We always grew up. Yeah. We all grew up in a four family flat. We grew up in the same house. Mm. Yeah. You know, I had my uncle and aunts and cousins and grandma all in one place. Yeah. yeah. And so I love that we're kind of create. We're, we're able to have that experience with him. That old yeah. school experience. Yeah. You know? And then he's energized his grandparents. Mm. You know? Oh, yes. You know, Tunisia talked about her mother's uh, the the stroke she suffered. She's made a 100% recovery. You know, and Max but has a lot to do with. She it. has even boosted her health even more since yes. Max was she's born. She's very motivated. You know? She's mm-hmm. motivated. You know, so she comes over and hangs out, and they're like Bobsy twins. You know, they don't. <laughs> we're secondary thoughts. You know, when, they, when those two like grandma's here. Thanks to technology, he FaceTimes with my parents all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so. He hears my mother's voice in Florida. He's like, Grandma Nita. And he gets to see her, you know. Yeah. I'm like, man, one day, you know, we're going to have that conversation with him one day where I hold up the phone that we grew up with and say, <laughs> what's this? And he's going to be like, I don't know. And I'm going right. to be like, what's this? And he's going to be like, that's a phone. Right. You know, I don't know what. But in context, he'll be able to understand what he's benefited from. Yeah. You know, that, that we were able to uh, put in place. But can I tell you, know? you the best day, yeah. my, my, my husband's best day just happened because we were driving in the car and Max said, Daddy, can I hear Black Bottom collect? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is my child. <laughs> and yeah, was like, man. Yes, son, you can. <laughs> By all means. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, man, that is so cool. He gets to watch, yeah. and I love this. Uh, he he'll um, till Kari will go off to work, and he's seen Kari speak. You know, Kari. Um, yeah. Kari speaks quite a bit in the public eye, and and uh, Max goes, Mom. Yeah. Is daddy going to speak to the people? Yeah, daddy's <laughs> going to speak to the people, baby. Wow. Yeah. So I love that he gets to have that example of, you know, leadership. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could just tell you, like, your home feels like love. Um, oh, wow. I'm Thank somewhat, you. like, I I don't like to go to, like, too many different spaces because it has those people's energy. Sure, sure. And I've, it's funny, like, when I grew up, my house was like that. People around the neighborhood would come to my house. Not even for me, but because my mom was just so loving. You knew you would have a smile, someone listening to you. Even if you didn't have the homework right, she'll help you. Or just grill out in the backyard and stuff like that. And it felt like love. And my cousin's house, as soon as you walked in, it felt like death. Mm. And it, and I would take people there. Like, mm. as I grew up, like, friends and to see did they feel it and as soon as and you could feel all the arguments that happened there all the heartache all the mm. things that no they didn't get over and get past wow and your home feels very calming and loving so thank you so much for having me oh, here wow. we appreciate thank that you. um and how can our listeners listen to the black bottom collective ah. <laughs> yeah so reach out to you, all. you can you can listen to black bottom collective um on itunes mm-hmm. just uh Search Black Bottom Collective or search People Mover. That's okay. the that's the name of uh, the album that we have on on iTunes. Um, if you want to support Coleman and Young Foundation, mm-hmm. can I say that? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. go to uh, cayf.org. Those are the initials for Coleman and Young Foundation, and just simply click the Give Now button. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, we we appreciate any support that we can get, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. We Thank do. You. Yeah. Yeah, we know you're doing amazing, amazing <laughs> yeah. things. It's such a such a blessing. Yeah, you're really Thank dope. You. You're really dope. <laughs> what you're doing is just nothing short of dynamic. So, you know. Thank you. I want to thank Tunisia and Kari Turner for an amazing interview and being a part of this week's Reals Events podcast. This interview was even more than I expected, and I knew it was going to be great. I actually got to have the chance to Spent some time with Max. I got to hang out after we recorded the podcast. Um, I actually didn't know I was there for so long, which is only a testament to the great conversation and the great energy um, that was there. And I, again, had to say Max is just phenomenal, and he is everything that they said and even more. Um, the next time I interview the Turners, I have to have Max on to ask him a question or two. And um, I hope that you all enjoyed it. I look forward to hearing from you all using our social media um, name or handle at Riel underscore events, R-I-E-L-L-E underscore E-V-E-N-T-S. And before you go, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast here on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and the podcast app. I look forward to you all joining us next week as we continue our conversations and journey. Until next time, Sai Jian.